hope you are. Go ahead and turn to James. We're going to pick up where we left off last week in our study of James. James chapter 1. One of the things that excites me the most about working within a ministry setting uh, is the time that I get to spend with other believers. I have the privilege to spend time with, with Jules. He's not here tonight, or is he? Maybe he's hiding. Maybe he knew what I was preaching on, so he left. I'm not sure, but I get, get time to spend with Jules. I get time to spend with Andrew, with Jabez. I get time to get out and, and get to talk to people. This week I got to spend some time with Joe and, and with Dave, uh, men that convict me, men that challenge my heart, men that force me to go back to Scripture, to have a look at Scripture and to make sure to check, make sure that my own heart is in check, make sure that as I'm studying Scripture, I'm not bringing my, my own interpretations, my own personality into this, but I'm allowing the Holy Spirit to work on me. And that's exciting. That's exciting to, to be in a place where you can spend time with other believers. Tonight, as we look at James, you're going to see some similarities between what Michael spoke about last week and what Andrew spoke about this morning. And what encourages me in that is the fact that as I spend time, I spend time growing in our, in our relationship with God, as you and I spend time being sensitive to the, to the leading and the guiding of the Holy Spirit, as we spend time studying Scripture, God's not going to give you something and lead you in one direction and give me something and lead me in a totally different direction, that as we all submit, as we all come under the leading and the guidance of the Holy Spirit, that we're all being led in the same direction. And it's exciting as I listen to sermons from, from Michael and from Andrew, and the same points are hitting my heart as what I'm studying in my own time. That's exciting. And as a body, as we continue to hear the same message, and what we're hearing lately has been about maturity, maturity as believers, as we're sensitive to that, and as we, as we hear that, we should be encouraged because we as a body are in a place where God is, is, is teaching us something to grow us and to mature us more. Tonight we're going to be, as I said, in James chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 9 through 12 together tonight. And last week we began this study into the, to the letter of, from James to believers to believers that have been scattered, uh, we introduced James as the brother of Jesus, and he describes himself as a servant, a bond servant, a servant bound to Christ, not because of the blood that they shared as brothers, but because of the blood of the cross. As we discuss, James wastes no time in getting straight to the point in this letter. Remember, this is a letter of maturity, a letter that is encouraging believers to grow in their faith. These are believers that are living within the context of a foreign culture, 
where they're dealing with foreign religions, foreign languages, foreign currencies, foreign things to them. And like us, as believers living here in Brisbane, as believers, we're in a foreign land. And we too must deal with things that are foreign, things that are contrary to Scripture. Some of the influences that these believers were facing were influencing the way that they were acting and the way that they were treating other believers. Last week we saw James begin to address the issue of trials in the life of those particular believers. Let's read together James chapter 1. We'll start in verse 2. Let's just read down to verse 8 together just to bring us back up to to context with where we were at. James chapter 1 verse 2 says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, trials. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, endurance. But let patience have her perfect work that you may be perfect and entire wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Last week we saw James bring about the point to these believers that as you face trials, as you deal with life issues, weigh them up. Weigh them up based on fact, not emotion. We talked about the fact that so often when we're in hardship, when we're in trial, the first place we go to is where our emotions take us. James says, step back from it, weigh it up, look at it for what it is, look at it for God working in your life, weigh it up based on its facts, not based on the emotion. And then rejoice, because within those trials, there is value. Within the trials that God allows you to go through, there is value. You are being grown, you are being molded, you are being shaped into the image of Christ. He says, ask for wisdom. And only wisdom from God is going to be able to enable you to be submissive and to rejoice. If I bring my own wisdom into these trials, it doesn't teach me to be submissive to God, and it certainly doesn't help me to rejoice. Ask for wisdom from God. These trials should drive us to God. That's why he says, ask God. He says, ask in faith, pray with confidence in God. And then he says, don't waver. Be consistent. Much of the the wisdom that we get comes from the Word of God. And we waver because we don't know what the Word of God says. Because we're not consistent 
in studying the Word of God, in, in being in the Word of God. From these first few verses that we read, that we studied last week, we drew out some application. We learned that we need to recognize the value in the trial and then rejoice. We saw that we need to ask for wisdom in the trial. And finally, we saw don't waver in the trial or that wisdom is wasted. James is a letter of encouragement to these believers. He is encouraging them to continue on to maturity. This is a letter dealing with ongoing sanctification and submission. Not so much a letter of salvation. And this week we're going to pick up where we left off last week. And here we're going to see this evening James get even more direct. Verse 9. Let the brother of a low degree rejoice in that he is exalted. But the rich and that he is made low. Because as the flower of the grass, he shall pass away. For the sun is no, so no sooner risen with the burning heat, that it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof falleth, and the grace of the fashion of it perisheth. So also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let's open in prayer. Heavenly Father, as I studied this passage Father, there's a sensitivity needed here. So, Father, tonight I pray that, Father, I would respond to how the Holy Spirit would have me work through this. And Father, the things that I've studied, you would bring them to knowledge. And Father, I wouldn't be bound to my notes, but I'd be sensitive. Father, this is your word and it applies to our life and it applies to this so, Father, work on our hearts tonight. Father, we love you in your name. Amen. <clears throat> now, as we read these verses, our natural thinking, the natural place that our, that our head goes to is that he's still dealing with trials. And, and he is to an extent. He's, he's still talking about trials but the, the crux of what he is talking about, the, the overarching point that he is trying to get to here is one of submission. It's one of that there is joy in submission. That's what he's trying to, to, to point out here. That's where he's trying to, to get to with these believers. This is the second time that we see James talk about joy. In verse 2, James says, Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. You see it again here in, in verse 9. 
In fact, as we travel further in the book, in chapter 4, James is going to talk about joy again, but he's going to talk about what we shouldn't be rejoicing in. There's joy in submission. Have a look at chapter 4, verse 16. Chapter 4, verse 16, he says, But now ye rejoice in your boastings. You're rejoicing in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. There are some things that we should not find joy in. And over the next few chapters, James is going to unfold them. He's going to unpack those things for these believers. There's some things that we too should grab hold of that we should apply to our lives. But here in verse 9, we see that there is real joy as we submit to the will of the Father. There's Real joy as I submit, as I surrender to the will of God. Look at verse 9 again. Let the brother of a low degree rejoice in that he is exalted, but the rich in that he is made low, because as the flower of the grass, he shall fade away, he shall pass away. He starts that verse with let. And we saw this word last week. We we saw it as a a picture of surrender, of submission. And in verse 4, James says, let patience have her perfect work. There's this picture of surrender. If we are to mature as believers, we must surrender to the will of God. We must trust that God in His sovereignty, in His inexhaustible love for us as believers not only knows what's best for me, but He's going to bring that about as I surrender. Now, as we read this, we again have to ask the question, who? Who's James speaking about? We know he's talking to believers. This this letter is written to believers, but, but who's he talking about here? And in this case, we see he's referring to two different types of believers. One believer or one brother is of a low degree, and the other, the rich brother. He's talking about a believer that is potentially of a low socio standing. He doesn't have a lot. Perhaps we would say that they were poor. And then he's talking about a brother who has been blessed with wealth. And these are sensitive topics. They're sensitive within our congregation and they're sensitive for the congregation that he was writing to then. Both are believers. Both have equal value in the context of the church. Most importantly, in God's eyes. Both will go through trials and both can rejoice in those trials. 
to the brother of a low degree, to the believer who we would perhaps say is of lesser financial means, that brother, the beloved, that brother can rejoice in that he is exalted. So what does that mean? Remember, James is dealing with practical issues, with maturity issues within this body of believers. We see him address this issue of social status or of financial status a number of times through this letter. It's a, it's a real issue for these believers. He addresses it in chapter 2, in chapter 4, and again in chapter 5. This is a serious matter that is impacting their growth individually and their growth collectively as churches. That person, the believer who is of a low degree, his status as a believer, his status as an individual within the church is not measured by social standing. It's not measured by financial standing. The Bible tells us God is no respecter of persons. We see that in Romans 2 verse 11, for there is no respect of persons with God. And Peter talks about it again in, in Acts chapter 10 verses 34 and 35. He said, God is no respecter of persons but in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. God's not judging you based on your financial standing or your, your social standing. It doesn't matter to God. What matters to God is where you stand before him. So if the case is that it doesn't matter where I sit financially, my joy is not coming from my social status, my financial standing. Where does it come from? Where does that exaltation come from? Where does my rejoicing come from? Where does my joy come from? The rejoicing, the exaltation comes from that individual believer standing before God. That understanding of who I am in Christ. There is a giving glory to God in that rejoicing. There is a boasting in God within that rejoicing. There is a look at what God is, has done and what God is doing for me within that rejoicing. Now we know this. As James said last week, or in, well, in our last week, not his last week, but as James said in the first part of this, knowing this, this is knowledge you have already gained. Knowing this, we know this. In here, we know that. Theoretically, we know that. But when it comes to our heart, and Andrew was talking about heart issues this morning, when it comes to our heart, we struggle with that. So often our hearts go to places of resentment, of judgment. As a young man growing up on the mission field, 
Um, I can remember living in a household where my parents were entirely supported by churches. And I've talked to you about this before when, when we would get to points within our life where we didn't know where the next meal was coming from where we'd sit at the table and, and my dad or my mom would say, this is all we've got left. The cupboards are empty and we're just going to pray and we're just going to trust that God will provide. And God always provided. But for me as a young man, as I sat there and I, I looked at other missionary families and I looked at other Christians and I saw how well off that they were, I became resentful. I begin to judge them. And believer here tonight, if we're not careful, instead of going to rejoicing, that's where we go. It's easy to look at a brother or a sister and go, that's not fair. God, why is it that you've blessed them with this? but I don't have that. It's easy to go there. Be careful of your heart. There's need for us to surrender, not to compare. There's need for us to surrender, not to envy. There is need for us to recognize that God is sovereign and as I surrender to the will of God, I find real joy. The one who is of a lower financial standing, maybe a lesser social status, can rejoice because before God, all believers are equal. Before God, that believer is accepted in the beloved. We see that in Ephesians 1. Accepted in the beloved. Not because of what that believer has, but because of what God has done and is doing in the life of that believer. Galatians 3.28 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye all are one in Christ. We're all created in the image of God, and your social status, your financial status, your skin color, your age, your physical abilities, your family your heritage, none of that matters in the eyes of God. What matters is who you are before Him. And we can rejoice in that. Verse 9, let the brother of a low degree rejoice in that he is exalted, but the rich in that he's made low, because of the flower of the grass he shall pass away. So if the, the man of low degree rejoices in being exalted, rejoices in his standing before God, where does that leave the brother who is financially blessed? 
This isn't saying that one is bad and the other is good. This isn't a rich versus poor argument. Both stand equal before God. Both endure trials and hardships and both have to submit and rejoice. The joy doesn't come from being poor and the joy doesn't come from being wealthy. The joy comes from submitting to the will of God. Both must recognize that in Christ, God sees you as holy. That in Christ, you are seen as righteous. He sees you as His So the question again, but what does that financially blessed believer rejoice in? Take a look at this, verse 10. But the rich, in that he is made low. But the rich, in that he is made low. doesn't say, but the rich, and that he is rich. That's not what I'm rejoicing in. That's not what I'm glorifying God in. Yes, we should. If you are blessed financially, you should be grateful to God. You should be coming before God and going, thank you for what it is that you have given me. We should be doing that, but that's not what James is talking about here. That's that's not what he's getting at. The verse says, rejoicing comes in that he is made low. Now that's contrary to our thinking. It's contrary to what the world tells us. That's contrary to what every banking advertisement on the television says to you. That well-off believer, that wealthy believer, he rejoices despite his earthly status. He recognizes despite his earthly wealth, despite his social status, he too was a sinner doomed for an eternity in hell. He too was a a believer or an unbeliever, a, a, a sinner that was separated from God, that he deserved eternity separated from God. But God in his grace God in His mercy, God in His love, saved that hopeless, helpless man. That's where true wealth is. In recognizing that what I hold with my hands, I hold loosely because the true wealth, true value, true happiness comes in who I am in Christ and not in what I hold in my hands. be honest with ourselves here tonight. Too often we attach our worth, we attach 
value to impermanent parts of creation. Understand this. Decaying creation was never meant to be your Messiah. Let me say that again. Decaying creation was never meant to be your Messiah. It was never meant to satisfy you. It was never meant to be your source of joy. The temporary things of this world were never intended to be the place where you find help, where you find hope, where you find lasting happiness. They were never meant to be that. It was never meant to satisfy you. It was never meant to be your self-value descriptor. Temporary things of this world were never intended to be the place where you find anything other than an opportunity to glorify God. Everything in creation is dying and we cannot look there for life. We can't do it. And as soon as we attach our value to those things, we start to look there for life. We start to look there for satisfaction. We start to look there for joy. God never created us to do that. Just as God cares for the believer that is of a low degree, God cares for the believer that is described in this verse as rich. And God cares enough to continue to remind that rich, that wealthy, that well-off Christian, continues to remind them of humility, of who they are in Christ, and it is not what they bring to the table, it is what Christ brings. In being made low, in being humble, there is a recognition that true joy, that true happiness, that true satisfaction comes from a dependence, from a contentment on the riches of God's grace, not the riches that I hold in my hand. He, like the other man, rejoices because of his status before God, not because of his status on earth. Now, while James is addressing the rich man here, the same principle applies to whatever you place value on. Maybe you've heard of the author Paul Tripp. He says, the inescapable reality of life is that you end up conforming to the shape of what you value most. The inescapable thing is that you end up conforming to whatever you value most. Friends, while I love my wife with all my heart, she is my best friend. I adore her. She was never meant to be my Messiah. 
And while I love my children and they are a blessing from God, I love spending time with them. I'm watching them grow. I love watching them learn. They were never meant to be where I find joy and satisfaction. And while I love what I do, I love my job, I absolutely do. It was never meant to be where I find identity. And for you, maybe it's your car, maybe it's your house, maybe it's your stunning good looks, maybe it's the group of friends that you hang out with. And all of those things can be good and they can be tools in the hands of God when we surrender them to God. But they're all a poor replacement for a right and consistent relationship with the Heavenly Father. People, prestige, positions, none of them were meant to give us life and hope. Only God can do that. Last week, Brother Michael made the point that God is a jealous God. Our God desires for us to have the best. He desires to have a close relationship with you. So let me ask you this question, what is it that is getting between you and God? What is it that is you are elevating above God? What it is it that is impacting your relationship with God? Are you willing to surrender that to God and allow Him to use that to glorify Himself and to grow you? Are you willing to surrender that to God? Maybe I'll ask the question a, a different way. What does God have to remove What does God have to take away to restore a relationship with you? What are you willing to let go of? Or what does God have to take out of the way? It's a terrifying question. Because there are so many things that we hold tight. We hold close. And we say, God, you can have anything else. God, you can, you can, I'll, I'll submit, I'll surrender, I'll give you everything. But this, this, is, this is important to me. This is close to me. This, I, need to, I need this in my life. What is it God needs to take away from you to restore a right relationship with Him? As we face the reality of death and decay in everything that is around us. And we stop searching for hope in things that are dying, things that are decaying. As we stop looking for hope in those things, we find life. We find joy. We find lasting joy. But while we continue to look for hope and for life and for joy and for satisfaction in these things, 
we only eventually find death. We only eventually find disappointment. We only eventually find destruction. Come with me to verse 11. Last week we saw an illustration of the wave being blown about by the wind The believer that is wavering, the believer that knows what is right but is comparing that to what the world offers is like that wave that is blown about by the wind. We saw the illustration that James used for that last week. The believer that is not mature in their faith, they're being pulled and they're being pushed because of that immaturity. Now James gives these believers another word picture, another illustration to describe what he's talking about. Verse 11 says, For the sun is no longer, has no sooner risen with a burning heat. He must have been in Queensland. The burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof falleth, and the grace of the fashion of it perisheth, so also shall the rich man fade away in all his ways. The wealth of that rich man will pass away as with life. The mantra of the world, get all that you can get now. Do all that you can do now. Live your best life now. Why? Because you're going to die. So just do it all now because you're going to die and then it's all gone anyway. That's the mantra of the world. And while on one account the world is right, you will die, and all of this will be gone, on the other account they're very, very, very wrong. As believers, we know this is not our best life. Our best life is yet to come. As believers, we know what God is holding in store for us. God in His grace allows to have us to possess all of that is God's. And all of it is to be used for His glory, not my own. It's not for me to satisfy myself. It's not for me to live my best life now. It's for me to use for His glory. So the brother, the believer... There's of a low degree, he can rejoice. And the brother that is rich, the believer that is well off, he can rejoice. Both rejoice, not because of their social status, not because of their financial standing. Both rejoice because of their status before God. Both are sinners who were destined to an eternity in hell, but both have been saved by grace. Believer, here tonight, let me say this again. It wasn't your social status. It wasn't your financial standing. It wasn't your family. It wasn't your heritage. It wasn't the good deeds that you did or you think you did that brought you to the point of salvation. Those aren't the things that God looked at and went, yes, I'll choose that one. It's only by God's grace that you were saved. God sees you through the blood-stained lens of Jesus Christ. We rejoice in that, but none of us deserve it. 
Come with me to verse 12. And this is our last verse tonight. We'll close with verse 12. It says, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Notice who's blessed. It's not the rich man and it's not the poor man. It's the man that endures trials. It's the man that endures hardship. There's a blessing in the trial itself. We saw that last week, and now we see there's a blessing in enduring, in standing, in continuing. Rich or poor, the man that endures trials, the man that stands firm, the believer who submits to the will of God, the believer who, as we discussed last week, seeks to glorify God in the trial, that believer is blessed. No matter what the earthly status is, the blessing is how you respond to the trial. Verse 12 for when he is tried, literally when he is tested, when he is proven. The one whose faith and integrity and submission to God have been tested. Second Timothy 2.15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, approved unto God. Tested. Tried. 2 Corinthians 10, 17 through 18, but he that glorieth, there's this rejoicing or boasting, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord, let him boast in the Lord, let him rejoice in the Lord. But not he that commendeth, lifteth up, he, he lifts himself up, is approved, but whom the Lord commendeth. Whom the Lord commendeth. Remember, James is talking to believers, so this isn't about salvation. This isn't even about trials, this is about surrender. And tonight as we look at this, this is about submitting to God and allowing Him to do His work in our lives. This is about putting God in His rightful place. There's a blessing and there is a rejoicing in the enduring. And now we come to the last part of this verse 12. And James provides another illustration that the believers within that context, the believers that he is writing to, they would have clearly grasped. And for us, maybe it's a little bit muddy. He says, for he shall receive the crown, Stephanos, of life. This is a winner's crown. Perhaps the picture that we've been trained to think or the picture that is conjured up within our minds is something like what we, we saw King Charles get not long ago. A gold, jewel-studded crown. How many of you saw that? Not many people watched that. I commend you on that. I did. I was being tortured to watch that. 
But the crown that we see within that, and it wasn't my wife that was torturing me, the crown that, just to clear that up right now, the crown that we see there, the crown that, that King Charles received, the crown that is so often spoken of in the Old Testament, these beautiful gold, jewel-studded crown. That's not what he's talking about here. The, the Stephanos that we see here is not a symbol of authority. It's not a symbol of royalty. That's what the gold crown is. This crown, the crown that we see in the New Testament so often, the crown that believers receive, there's five of them, they're associated with victory. This is a reference to the crown awarded to a winning athlete. At that point in history when James is writing, large sporting events were very popular. On the Greek calendar, there were four different massive sporting events. The one that we think of the most is, is the Olympics. And the winners of events within those sporting events were presented with a wreath made of leafy branches. A wreath that would sit on the winner's head. It wasn't until years and years later that we started to get the gold and the, the bronze and the silver. A wreath of, made of leafy branches would eventually dry up. It would eventually wither away. But the honor associated with winning would remain. We see references to sport throughout the New Testament because it was a topic that was familiar to them. And James uses that again here in this illustration. The believer who submits who endures trials, the believer that continues to press forward and is approved of God, that believer receives honor from God because of that endurance. The honor given by God will never fade away. The eternal blessedness we're given to those genuine servants of God, that'll never fade away. The spiritual growth gained by enduring, that'll never fade away. The glory that God receives through our submission to Him, through enduring, that'll never fade away. Look at the last part of that verse here. So we're... Blessed by God because of our enduring. We receive a crown. We're honored by God. And then he says, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. There's a promise there for them that love him. Everyone goes through trials. But only those that love God, only those that have placed their faith in Christ, only those receive the promise. So tonight as we close this service, we see James, he makes this point to these believers 
that there is joy, there is real joy in surrender. It doesn't matter if you are poor or if you are rich. The value is in your relationship with God. The value is in your surrender to the Father. And in that comes real joy. Maybe tonight you need to get some things right before God. Maybe you've lost your joy. And we're going to go to prayer in just a minute. And like Andrew did this morning, I'm going to invite you to come and pray. Because honest, I think there's some of us here tonight that need to just surrender some things to God. So let's pray. And let's come before God with a clean heart. And let's submit to God those things that we hold so tight. Heavenly Father, Father, so many things in my life I elevate above you. Father, so many things in my life I struggle to hold with loose hands. And Father, they impact my relationship with you. So Father, tonight as we come before you, my friends here tonight, Father, Father, I pray that we would learn to submit to you. And for you tonight that's here, I invite you to come and pray.